0: men in Cleveland, episode 93. I'd like to dedicate this episode to Jerry Ball. Remember the yes. old heavy Jerry Ball? Oh, how could then, you forget Jerry Ball? I think maybe had a couple years with us. I think maybe more than likely one. So, yes. Ken Dwarf, Ted Klopp. Ted, we're, uh, we're almost basically winding down July, which... I don't know. We have these conversations every year. I feel like a broken record. Once 4th of July hits, it seems like summer is on the downward slide. And that's certainly the case. Now, my children, I imagine your children too, will be starting school in just under a month. There we yeah. go. Yeah. Let's go Back to Coming school. Coming right up. Coming Let's right up. Do it.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, it's crazy. Uh, and as we've talked about the last couple of years, this annual trip that my family takes, uh, I may join them for part of it this year. We'll see. But it got delayed a week for a good reason. Uh, my oldest son was selected to be on his baseball league's all-star team. Holy cow. Congratulations to France. Yeah. That's really cool, man. And then, so we got that news. And then because they were going to be in town, the league had a night with the Lake County captains. So yeah. they held a draw. So I bought tickets. So they held a drawing amongst all the players that were going to be there for who could throw out the first pitch. I think I need to have him go buy some lottery tickets because he's an all star and he threw out the first pitch. Oh, how exciting. Yeah. That, that's really cool. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. At a young then, age like that to do that. That's cool. And then to top that off. So there were three all-stars from our team. Well, it turns out one of them can't make the all-star game. So just like in the big leagues, you have an alternate. So the first alternate is my middle son. So I have two <laughs> all-stars. Hey, look at you. I know that uh, I know given my uh, long and storied athletic career, uh, this is uh, no surprise to anybody, but uh, you know, just wanted to uh,
0: congratulations to, thank you. to those two young men. You guys gotta be very happy. And then yeah. you know you gotta celebrate those things because as we just talked about at the beginning of the show, everything goes fast. So yep. that's that's a fun time and and what an experience for Fritz to throw out a, a first pitch at a big stadium. That's cool. Yeah. Good for him.
1: That's yeah, amazing. yeah. He was he was pumped. He was that's- he was worried about throwing a good pitch. And I said, here's the secret. Don't throw it hard. Yep. Just throw the throw like you're playing catch. And oh, he did a great job. Uh what's got it right to ma- the. I think the mascot the skier, skipper was the catcher, was the mascot. Oh. And he has nice. a uh fishnet that he catches the uh pitches in. And so Fritz, Fritz
0: got it. It was good. Well, I got to ask this question. I hmm. mean, you've had a decent run here of games. Did they win that night, or did they lose?
1: The Lake County Captains
0: won that night. You're two and zero now on recent yeah. games.
1: Yeah, you had the yeah. game
0: with Thor, the yep. uh, Cleveland Guardians, and now the Lake County Captains. All right, let's let's run the string. Let's keep it going. Right. I'm ready. I'm ready. Keep it going. So, well, I, I don't I don't have any stories like that. I you know went on a quick vacation with with the family. And we'll talk about that in our out and about segment. But uh, I have a rant. I I don't have many rants. I'm not going to become completely deranged, but I have had issues with Facebook Marketplace. Are you familiar with Facebook Marketplace? Have you tried to
1: sell anything? I I am familiar with it. My wife is me up to speed on this.
0: So we had some items at the house. Obviously, we're into donating. I think that's a great thing because, you know, giving the opportunity for other people to use things that you can't use as opposed to throwing them away. I'm a big believer of that. But at the same point, if you spend a good amount of money on something and if you could resell it and make some money, I think that's a good move, too. Okay. So we had some items from our wedding, some chalkboards and some trays that held some utensils and I think a couple other items. And I talked to A1 and she's like, you know what, let's see if we could sell them. I said, that's fine. So I've sold stuff on Facebook Marketplace before. I think in total, I have probably sold at least $2,000 worth of stuff. Not a ton, but a decent amount. Understand how to post it. You gotta be part of all these different groups with you know different parts of the area where you live, so on and so forth. I will say right now, I don't know what has happened. This has not happened to me before. There are so many scams involved with Facebook Marketplace now. It is ridiculous. It's ridiculous. All these people making up fake, you know, profiles and then you get a email message from them through Messenger and they say to you, "Hey, I'm interested in this. How much would it be?" And I'm, well, the price is the price. Okay, that's fine. Then they want, you know, send they want your phone number. I'm like, I'm not giving you my phone number. And basically, what it is, is they're trying to dupe you through Zelle or through some other type of monetary service to steal money. Yeah. And so you got to fish through this. And one day, I had six messages. All six were scams.
1: Oh, jeez.
0: So you have that side of it. And on the other side, which I think a lot of people could speak to. There's these people out there, obviously, we're not going to mention any names who say they're interested in something and they want to buy it. And then you try to set something up with them. Nothing. You you just you just hear nothing. Yeah. And and it's like, do do you reserve the thing? Quick story was out on a Friday night. Some lady contacted me, was interested in some of the chalkboards we had, so on and so forth. Okay, that's cool. I said, I'll hold them for you. She says, I would like my sister to come and pick them up on Saturday at seven in the morning. <laughs> Excuse she goes, me. OK, that's fine. So I set the boards out. I say, put the money in the mailbox. She's like, well, no, no, I'll Venmo you. What's your Venmo? So I give it to her. Night goes on. I don't even think about it. Saturday morning comes. The boards are still there. Okay, of course bring they Bring them in. I end up selling it to somebody else. You know, it's first come, first serve. I'm not going to sit here. If you want it, come and get it. Once it's gone, it's gone. A week and a half later, Ted, a week and a half later, the lady that was interested in these boards contacted me and said, hey, did my sister ever pick those up? I said, well, no, no, she didn't. Did you get my Venmo? No, I didn't get that either. Oh, okay. Well, thank you. Well, thank you. <laughs> Why don't you call your sister? Why don't you find out what's going on there and talk to your sister? I don't know your sister, nor am yeah. I going to try to contact her to see if she picked up some boards, which I know she didn't because they're sitting in someone else's house. So, yeah. There you go. Facebook marketplace. Maybe we need to have somebody on here to tell us how to do this right and how not to get scammed and all that fun stuff. I have a basic idea, but my gosh,
1: yeah.
0: Yeah. it shouldn't be this hard.
1: You get my wife on here. She'll That's tell us rant. how it works. She is very
0: familiar with that. Yes. I've seen her sell a lot of different things.
1: Yeah, a variety of a wide assortment. Yes, wide assortment. That is
0: correct. All right. Well, uh,
1: coming up on uh, this week's show, we're going to learn about the visual effects industry for television and movies. We're going to talk with visual effects producer Zach Hamilton. How many cans? Cans? How many cans can you stick on your head, Ken? I am not sure. Well, we know a guy who holds the record. You're going to hear about that in The Overachievers. The main north-south road in Cleveland here is Ontario. But why is it called Ontario? Well, Cleveland historian John Grabowski is here with the answer. We have a misspeak of the week. End of quote. Repeat the line. And in Klopp's clips, one guy learned the hard way that wet wipes and antibacterial wipes are not interchangeable. And now, A Woman's Perspective. Why do men like smart women? Opposites attract. This has been A Woman's Perspective. Cleveland, this is for you. Our Cleveland sports historian Dusty Sloan is with us, and we're going to talk a little baseball now. July seventh, nineteen twenty-three. I remember it like it was yesterday. You sure, the, yeah. Thank you. The Indians set an a- American League record, scoring twenty-seven runs in the game and thirteen in the sixth inning. And we're out to a twenty-seven to three win over the Boston Red Sox. Uh, Red Sox with a late field goal to make it. Well, I don't know that that's even respectable, but Dusty, what what do we know about this this game that's nearly a hundred years ago uh, that the the Indians stomped all over the Red Sox in?
2: Absolutely, it's it was a. Uh... It was a rescheduled game. It was the first game of a doubleheader rescheduled from May 21st because of cold conditions. We've seen that before. Played at Dunn Field, and you scored 30 runs in in a duration of two hours and 10 minutes. So they were very quick games back then, even when you scored 30 runs. But uh, scored scored at least one run in every inning. Almost everybody got in the uh, RBI column for the Indians that day. Every starter got at least one hit. Back then, it wasn't uncommon that the uh, Indians would walk 14 times and only strike out once, and the uh, batting strikeout was by the relief pitcher. So pretty good day overall for the Indians, I'd say.
0: I'd say so. Dusty, to give our listeners an idea, who are some of the names on that, obviously, that Indians team at that time?
2: Well, the, pit, the winning pitcher that day was Stan kovalewski I think a lot of people looking back at Indians baseball even that long ago know that name. Obviously, Tris Speaker in center field was three for three that day. Joe Sewell at shortstop. So you've got a lot of wow. names of Indians when you go through the record books and people talk about the Indians teams even back then. They're recognizable. So uh, it, it, it was a good team back then. Let's take a look at what their record was. They were thirty-seven and thirty-five after that game. They finished with a record of eighty-two and seventy-one. And Tris Speaker was the manager that year. So uh, that unfortunately, I was only good for third in the American League that year.
1: Huh. Hmm. Wow. So, Dusty, 27 runs. Uh, I don't remember anybody ever coming close to that in what you might call modern baseball.
2: And the interesting thing about it is they only use, the Red Sox only used three pitchers. It doesn't look like <laughs> using position players back then was a the thing. But uh, poor Lefty O'Doul, he was the first relief pitcher in, and he gave up 16 runs in three innings, and only three of them were earned. Oh, (laughs) only three were earned. So obviously they're just throwing the ball around the diamond. Wow. Red Sox, four errors that day. The the poor guy lefty O'Doul also struck out eight in three innings. So not a good day for him.
1: My gosh. Wow. Holy cow. I've seen kid games that don't have that many errors. Wow. That's that's Okay. Well, Dusty, uh, some interesting perspective on a 27 run game. And a victory for the tribe 99 years ago. Thanks for your time, Dusty. Thanks, guys. Cleveland, this is for you.
0: Ted, time for some good news. Hmm. A Maryland woman is a fan of the Maryland Lottery's racetracks virtual horse racing game. I'm not. I'm not that familiar with that. I've done. TVG, but I've never done the virtual horse racing game. (laughs) Two months ago, she won almost, oh my gosh, $31,000 with a trifecta bet combination of 11, 10, and 12. Since then, she has been playing that same trifecta combination once or twice a week. And this month, it hit again for the same prize. (gasps) The 51 year old woman says she and her husband are house hunting, so this will certainly help. Wow. Good for her. Yeah. $31,000. <laughs> twice. Jeez. That's twice. Yeah. I'll tell you yeah. the Maryland lottery might shut her down soon. Yeah. So. Yeah.
1: I think, I think uh, if Fritz doesn't hit it for me, maybe I'll go play 11, 10 and 12. I think you should. Yeah. I think you should. Wow. Well, that's certainly uh, it's
0: good news for, I guess, uh, certainly the lady in Maryland. I guess we all need to find a way to get to Maryland and start playing the Racetrack's virtual horse racing game. Blah, Blah,
3: blah, blah, blah. blah, 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 blah. Blah, blah, blah. Blah, blah, blah. Blah,
0: blah, blah. Blah, blah, blah.
1: Blah, blah, blah. Our guest today is a visual effects producer. He's worked on such shows as Star Trek Picard and Strange New Worlds got several other projects that he has worked on we're going to talk about the visual effects industry in film and television so let's talk with zach hamilton zach thanks for your time uh star trek the most uh i guess maybe notable you might say uh work that you've been involved in are are, are you a trekkie is that uh, fair to say
4: I think I've learned to become one. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) I was in the star Wars camp when I got the first uh, season of Picard and then, you know, vastly uh, became very appreciative of what star Trek has done over the years and researching for the show. And it's awesome. The community is fantastic. The fans are tremendous. You know, it's a really great community, star Trek.
0: Zach, I guess the question I want to start with many different questions. I want to ask you Uh, certainly, When it comes to the visual effects industry, I mean, I imagine from when you started to where things are at now, completely different. What are you seeing now in the industry and what are maybe some of the upcoming things that maybe we will see in the industry when it comes to visual effects?
4: Yeah, no, it's been interesting. I mean, the pandemic was both good and bad for us. I mean, at the beginning, it was great because we still had work. You know, obviously there was an onslaught of work that had already been recorded uh, or filmed and that was in the editing base. We were able to still get work despite productions, principal photography, like actually on set was being shut down. Uh, but as it prolonged and got longer and longer, then we're like, okay, we're starting to dry up here a little bit. It's getting a little nerve-wracking. Are they going to be able to start shooting? Uh, they did start shooting. Obviously, we all have television shows. They did get creative in how they handled some of those uh, those intermittent. Uh, times between, uh, one of which I believe was the Blacklisted, an animated couple of a- uh, animated episodes. Sure did, yep. Which was interesting. Uh, there was a, another show that was, I think, a Paramount or CBS uh, show that did a full animated series, even though it was a live action show, which is really cool as well as a comedy show. Uh, so there, there was a lot of creativity happening. And again, that all helps support us in visual effects and animation. Um, I think the biggest thing that we've noticed, and this is across every industry, is work from home life, right? As you can see, yeah. uh, obviously the listeners can't see, but I'm working <laughs> from my home office. Um, yeah, working from home. I never thought I'd be able to live in North Carolina and work in film and television. So that's insane. Uh, <laughs> I live in a small rural town. I hope my internet keeps up with my, what my needs are. But yeah, you know, to only have to fly to set when needed and not have to actually live in Los Angeles has been awesome um but yeah I mean to the work to keep it to your question um you're going to start seeing a lot more uh green screen I think being implemented um you know and a lot more creative decisions with regards to compositing or actually putting the composition of shots together and extras you know there's still strict protocols I've been on many sets um you know with COVID or worked on shows where we were constantly doing production meetings with COVID protocols and You know, that does limit how many extras you can have. I mean, the last couple of shows I've been on, it's been about 50 to 70 extras. You know, you used to be able to have like hundreds, if not thousands, depending on what you need. If it's a feature film, you have the budget for it, then get them. Um, You know, and now it's a lot less. So you're seeing a lot more CG crowd extension, um, even in areas where you wouldn't necessarily think it's a lot of CG crowd because it's just safer that way. uh, And it's easier on production to handle it because you got to think about all the COVID testing that's happening on these sets. And that all costs money. Yeah. For every extra they got to get tested. The last set I was on, we tested three times a week. Uh, You know, it's, it's expensive. Plus you have to have the COVID compliance team there. It's it's a whole new world now. (laughs) So
1: uh, Ken and I use Adobe, uh, Adobe audition to do our show here. And I'm familiar with Adobe premiere. I've done a few video projects and I'm a little familiar with Adobe after effects. And I mentioned these because Anybody who does any video editing that's not, you know, working in Hollywood, they probably have at least some familiarity with these. So I'm curious how much different what, uh, when, when I do something in Premiere or After Effects, how much different, how, how much more involved is what you're working on than what I'm working on here in After Effects or in Premiere or some things like that?
4: Yeah, I mean, Premiere is a really great editing software, and I used to use that myself. Um, I mean, a comparable editing software that's just as equally accessible to the public would be uh, Final Cut uh, Mm. Pro. And I mean, there's been shows that have literally been, you know, films that have used Final Cut Pro for their editing suite. Obviously, Avid's the more go-to at that level, Uh, but there are a lot of similarities. After Effects is actually still used by some smaller Uh, visual effects houses as their compositing uh, tool or software Um, compositing being the last real step of the pipeline where we've got all the assets all the elements everything is getting put into the actual footage by a compositor to make it look as though it was all shot together Um, your green screen stuff like that is all happening in the compositing stage but yeah some studios use after effects Um, bringing it back to track I mean we were working with the graphics department client side at CBS Uh, Because we had to do all of the graphic overlays for all the holograms for the La Serena for season one. And so it was getting all of those, which were actually After Effects files. Um, They were using After Effects, and then we converted it into a tool setup that we could use for Nuke, which is the software we use. And that's more becoming the norm is Nuke uh, software. uh, or Well, Nuke is the name of the software. But yeah, but After Effects is still used. So a lot of similarities.
0: Zach, if someone is interested in, obviously, the field and being in television and film and all, everyone just thinks it's amazing and all that stuff, can you kind of get people a realistic idea? What does it take to get in the industry to do what you're doing? And what, what is the process you went through to get where you're at right now?
4: I'm not saying you have to sell your soul. It's possible. <laughs> uh, there may come a time. Uh, but... Uh you know, a second mortgage on a soul. Is that really a big deal at that point? Um, But yeah, no. So honestly, it is actually very accessible. There's a lot of really great junior opportunities. I will say, you know, and I've worked with a lot of overseas companies, so I don't want to come off as negative towards that, but they are cornering the market on a lot of the junior or more uh, just, you know, tedious type work, like Roto, um, paint work, stuff like if you have to paint out crew, stuff of that nature, Um, There are companies in India and other, you know, just other countries uh, that do that at an affordable cost. And so that used to be your way in as a junior artist, would it be to do the tedious work, the roto, kind of pay your dues. Um, But there's still many opportunities. The best thing that I can recommend is there's a lot of online education if you want to do it your own way for an affordable route, FX PhD is a great resource. LinkedIn learning um with them combining with I believe it's lynda.com. There's a lot of really great resources there. And I mean even some of the courses that I've looked at, just out of curiosity, they mirror some of the stuff I've learned uh in the industry, like actual real world um, you know, parallels there. But so that's an affordable way to do it on your own. But there's still the networking aspect, right? The yeah. how do you know people? <laughs> and that's really challenging. Again, Going back to LinkedIn, I mean, if you want to do a job, there's no better advice than to connect with people that do the job you want. Get advice for them. There's a lot of people like myself that would be willing to give advice for that. Um, but really, the most, I would say, best, the best way to do it at an affordable rate, if you can, is further education, right? So that doesn't necessarily mean go to a university. There are some really great state universities that do have good programs. Um, but there's a lot of trade schools that offer it at a fraction of the cost. We're talking about, you know, thirty grand. I think mine for Dave School total with my bachelor's degree was about thirty-five uh, thousand for the program. Uh, Dave School being the digital animation and visual effects school. Not to think that people thought I go to a school named after someone's first name, which my <laughs> dad did, which raised many concerns. Uh, he's like, "You're leaving Arizona State to go to the Dave School? What kind of is this? In his basement? What is this?" Uh, it's a fantastic school. Uh, it's based out of Orlando on the universal studio backlog. They have one of the whole soundstage soundstage 25 is all the school. Huh. So it's fantastic. So that's a great way to get in. It's also a fraction of the time too. So you could be done within a year, year and a half, instead of going to a traditional four-year school. Yeah. Um, and that you could get a, a bachelor's. I believe, I think you get your, uh, the program is like two, two and a half years. You do bachelor's. I, don't quote me on that. But even if you just got a certificate, at one of these schools, other schools would be like Noman, uh, the Savannah College of Art and Design, SCAD, uh Ringling, which is expensive but great for animation. There's a lot of different schools that offer great programs that gives you the real world knowledge in a class setting, but also project setting. What's it like to work on these shows? How hard is it? What's the time frame look like? They give you really good examples of that. Um, but also that gives you the connection. So now they'll see that on your resume and be like, oh, plus you have the career advisement help. Um, which can be helpful as well. But it just kind of gives you that leg up of how to, you have to be your own agent, which is really challenging when you're dealing <laughs> yeah. with people that deal with computers. Usually they're not the most social people. <laughs> so then to have to be super social and sell yourself can be really challenging. Right? Sure. Yourself, not your soul again. Right. back to that.
1: So when I think of a visual effects producer, I think of somebody who's in, in, in 2022, I think of somebody who's probably in front of a computer most of if not the entire day but i know you mentioned that you go to sets frequently so how much of your work is on the computer and when you're not on the computer what are you doing and what do you do on the set
4: yeah so yeah most of it is on the computer because all of the artists that i'm managing alongside the vfx supervisor um obviously we're working on the box right so that's a huge part of it plus meetings nowadays as we are meeting currently via zoom this is not much unlike my normal day uh have definitely become zoom centric and or google hangouts is another great one uh (laughs) but you know it's a lot of that's our face-to-face now prior to the pandemic there was a lot more face-to-face interaction with clients be it dinners uh meetings screenings when we're reviewing stuff we used to actually review it in theaters at our own You know, VFX studio, again, I've worked at various places, but most of the VFX studio houses or VFX houses have their own theater and we would review that way so you can see it on a big screen. You're going to watch something in a movie, it may look great on a small screen, but you may see something that you're missing on a small screen on, you know, a massive projector. So it helps for projection screen. Hmm. Um, But yeah, so there's that. So most of the meetings, most of the day-to-day artist managing, me bidding is on a computer. If I have scripts, I personally print them out because I'm old fashioned that way. I like to highlight and then go through and update my bids for the work and doing all the cost reporting to the clients saying how much this is going to cost for the shot Um, and whether or not they can do it. Um, And then on set... That's a little bit different. So, you know, where I'm working right now, a lot of times when I'm on set, I will help with some production um, aspects like helping take over, uh, helping keep charge of the set while the VFX supervisor is acting as kind of like a second unit director directing the talent and what we need for certain green screen shoots, stuff like that. And then I'll be helping manage everything, like keeping track of what capture we're on, Um, you know, what shot we're on, stuff like that, so that everything's running smoothly. But really, the main reason that I go to set primarily is just to kind of further establish that relationship with a client in person. Um, You know, let them see me in action, you know, build trust. I mean, you're working on multi-million dollar projects almost always. So, to get someone to work with you that you haven't worked with before. Obviously there's a level of trust for the studio that you work for. um, But also as a person, it's a really great way to very quickly ramp up that trust and that communication and kind of just build that bond or start that relationship by being there in person and working on set together. So Zach, you talked about projects. I
0: imagine you've worked on a ton throughout your career we always like to ask this question to many of our different guests. Tell us about one of the most wildest or craziest experiences you've had with one of your clients on a project.
4: Clients. I might have to be more ambiguous, uh, but sure. yeah, I mean, we've definitely had instances of some pretty crazy stuff. I, I'll be very uh, vague. vague, vague. Yes. vague. vague. <laughs> what kind that of project who knows? Protect the uh, yeah. Yes. So, um, uh, yeah, there was one where it went through rounds with a studio, and they loved the work for that particular project. Like this is fantastic. Um, we're gonna send it off for approval from talent. Talent was involved on this particular project, and uh, yeah, it got completely delayed for like three months uh, between hitting all the different notes that the talent wanted. They had a lot of control over the project. Um, and again, like I, I never look at it like I, as a producer and just as an individual that deals with a lot of different personalities. I always try to see everyone's perspective. Everyone's coming from a, you know, there's something going on. So I never took it personally, but it's very challenging when you're like, dude, the studio loved this. And now we've got three months of notes because they're trying to, you know, get it perfect. But, you know, a lot of times certain talent you deal with in the film industry or whatever, you know, it's a brand. There's a lot of actors and or musicians and stuff like that that are brands, you have to be mindful of that. So I never took it personal, but it definitely got a little crazy. At one point, some people got fired that we were working with, wow. uh, not at our company, but on their side, and then that derailed things. It it gets it gets wild sometimes. You really do get some crazy things happening. Um, I don't want to get too into the weeds on it, but that was definitely one that like it, it happens. Um, oh. I would say funny moments though in general would be I worked on the movie Hustlers. And I worked on the movie Zola. So Hustlers obviously being a little bit more mainstream. You've got Jennifer Lopez, a fantastic film. Um, And then Zola, also a great film, but more independent. Um, And they were both dealing with uh, strippers. Zola being a little bit more focused on escorts and stuff like that. Um, And it's really challenging because at the time I was a coordinator and so my job is to QC a lot of the work. Obviously, I was still managing the artist, but I was also QCing the work before it got sent out to the client for review. So on my screen, I'm looking at shots, obviously comparable shots, because it's you know, a show about strippers. Uh, and it's just really odd when you've got clients walking through the studio, because this was back in the day when we were in the studio, and they look at my screen and it just looks super sus. Uh, and I'm like, I promise this is my job. Like I know it looks really uh, compromising the position you yeah. me in right now yeah what, um, what and website? clear so your, cookies, clear oh, your yeah. cookies yeah clear the cookies clear the website cash yeah i swear to god this is work i'm in yeah. nuke i'm not even on yeah. a browser yeah, no, real yeah, hard work actions. too right uh yeah it was it was rough and, yeah. and ironically and this happened for like probably four months straight because i went right from hustlers onto this other project zola mm-hmm. and i used to joke i'm like with the amount of strippers that i'm seeing on my screen like i was dreaming about it not like in a good way. It was just like, I'm like this, like I, I felt like I worked at a strip club. Let's just say that. Cause uh-huh. there was just too much constant exposure. The joke was that I was either going to end up running a strip club or on the stage, but one of them was going to happen. <laughs> I ended up forming a mustache happened. I had one of those crazy handlebar stashes. that really fell into my own and I uh, uh-huh. got into character. Oh, yeah. Really so there's a, there there's a lot of crazy projects you work on. You don't think that you would work on a show like Hustlers. Um, or Zola and visual effects, but there's just a lot of stuff you know, green screens, any kind of TVs, phones. Sometimes there's cosmetic stuff, sometimes there's just mistakes with wardrobe that you have to fix, and so it all kind of comes together. So, we
1: meant you mentioned some of the things that you've worked on the the hustlers and the Star Trek, which I don't know that anybody that's a rather diverse portfolio, but uh, any projects coming up that you can tell us about where we can look forward to seeing, Hey, we talked to Zach and he did this for this project.
4: Yeah. Well, strange new worlds is still airing. um, And I worked on that uh, their first inaugural season, which was fantastic. Um, And so that'll keep going. Probably. I don't know when this episode airs, but it'll probably still be airing. Um, And then currently I'm uh, on a project right now. It's a feature film. Uh, called i want to dance with somebody uh which is a biopic about whitney Houston. which is all i can say about that uh okay. but i am vfx awesome. producing for one of the visual effects houses uh that's assigned to that show
1: cool wow that's really cool. great. Right. that's awesome
4: well yeah. excellent stuff uh
1: good information and uh, a peek behind the uh the hollywood curtain i guess we might say zach we appreciate your time thank you so much thanks so much for having me it's been a treat
0: Ted, as you probably figured out, I was out and about once again in the last couple weeks. Yeah. So this time we went on location. Oh, no names, please. But uh, we went to a fine town of Salisbury, North Carolina. Aowyn's family has a lake house there. So it took myself and the kids and Aowyn, of course, and the dog. We, uh, we spent some time there a week, but uh, that was our out and about. I
1: heard... They have some good stake there.
0: Uh. I just saw that was coming. Yes, and they also have a hill. So, okay, Salisbury Hill. Yeah,
1: Salisbury Hill. Okay,
0: small town, very fun. Um, when I was out and about there, we didn't go anywhere. Hmm. We just stayed at our facility, which we have everything we can want. I mean, boating and places to sit and swimming and all that fun stuff. So. To make up for my lack of an out and about, I was always like to talk about stuff. I just have one place that we actually went to and then a suggestion for people to find out more places so they can go out and about. Uh, special thanks to Sakana and Rocky River. I think I've mentioned them before. It's a sushi Japanese place. Very good. Went and had dinner. When we got back from our trip. And then on Sunday, we kind of just, you know, we're kind of tired. We're just kind of catching up on things from the week and all that and getting ready for the following week. We decided to put on diners, drives and dives that guy Fieri show. Oh yeah. Yeah. We had uh, David page, who was the original producer was one of the uh, Yes, of he was. way back when you can go on there, Ted. And there are multiple places that guy and, and the, and the crew go to that are in Cleveland. And I wanted to mention a couple of those. Um, lucky's on an early episode lucky's on stark weather very good breakfast place it's a very small place but very good melt okay. is on there from lakewood oh, sure it is um what else do we have most recently mables that michael simon plays they actually shot a um a series during the nba all star game during during that time and guy came up and so they did that they did the raleigh house I'm sorry, the Raleigh Inn, right near the Christmas house. Yep. Um, And then also Mason Creamery, which is very good, which is also in the uh, Tremont area. So I highly recommend people check that out and and see those episodes. It's very cool to kind of, they show some different sites of Cleveland and all that stuff. And you could find it um, once again in diners, drive-ins and dives. Yeah, uh, it's very good. And then uh, uh, one last place that I wanted to mention as well. My out and about segment celebrated once again. God bless my brother. But how many times can you celebrate your birthday? I mean, we just did it a couple weekends ago, and now we got to go do it again. He extends it, it's like he has his birthday for a month. You know, it's just like yeah, not just one day, which is July 5th. We're gonna celebrate the whole month of July. Oh, sure.
1: Yeah,
0: had the opportunity to spend it with my parents and then his wife and him. And we went to Fatheads in Middleburg, which that place, I'll tell you right now, always busy it's enormous. We'll just leave it at that, but very good. So special. Thanks. Nice. Uh, I throw it to you. Yeah. Do you
1: have any out and about stories for me? Yeah. We went to a uh, pretty unique place over in Sandusky County or I guess Erie County uh, because I asked my son, uh, I asked all three of them we were driving and I said, which, which is the scariest of the counties in Ohio? Oh, good one. And my one son said, eerie. Nice. And That's definitely from the lie. back row, my middle son says, that is the worst dad joke I have ever heard.
0: Have him listen so, to the show more often. He'll hear yeah, much worse. Yeah, things.
1: he should. But anyhow, we went to Seneca Caverns. I don't know if you're familiar. Oh, with- cool. Yes. Yeah, yeah, very neat. So, and the neat thing is, if you've been to other caves and caverns, a lot of them have uh, paved areas and things like that. This one, you really have to climb and move around to get down in there, and it's, um, it's like a crack in the earth, and that's what they call it. And yeah, you can go down as far as the water level. In our case, we were able to go down eight levels, or about, I think it was about a hundred. 100 150 uh, feet, maybe. Wow. Um, saw the water. They've gone down as far as uh, 12 levels. So well, we had a great time. Uh, very interesting. And then afterwards, we, you know, bought one of those the uh, bags of dirt and you take it out and you put it in the sifter and yeah. you find the gems and things like that. So they wanted to do that. So we did that. That's cool. So, yeah, Seneca Caverns, Erie County. Uh, very neat. How long did it take you to go through that, Ted? Is I've so always wanted to do that. The tour is about an hour. Oh, okay. It's a, it's a guided tour, and you have usually maybe 10 people on the tour. I think we had, I think we had eight, but you know, okay. eight, 10, 12 people. And uh yeah, yeah. you're with a guide, and it's very cool.
0: Kids like it. I mean, they had, oh my they god, really they enjoyed loved it. it.
1: Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, yeah. awesome. So I've been suggesting we go there for a couple of years, so we can cross that one off the list. <laughs> I love it. Out yeah. and about. Well, we are out and about, and I think soon
0: enough, you and I could be out and about, because I think we're going to have some uh, alone time with our significant others not being around. So we'll uh, we'll have to give everybody our next episode, where we go out and about. Make it fun. I promise. I like
1: that. We will bask in our alone too. That's right. <laughs> Achievers now can an Indian jewelry company is in the record books after setting 24,679 diamonds in a single setting, a single ring. Oh my gosh. S W a diamonds created the mushroom shaped design because it represents immortality and longevity. The ring weighs about 12 ounces, and is valued at more than $95,000. Whoa. 24,679 diamonds. Did they mention how long that took them to do? No.
0: My God, I can't imagine that's just a one-day thing, right? No. I mean, I, I don't know that much about setting diamonds, but that, that seems like it's going to take a couple of days.
1: So yeah, I would think, I would
0: think so. Well, we have another overachiever. A Wisconsin man has recaptured a Guinness record he previously held. Jamie Keaton. He's known as the can head to his grandchildren because he set the record for the most drink cans placed on a head using air suction. (laughs) How did he come up with this Uh, stuff? He set the first record in 2016 with eight cans staying in place for at least five seconds. I don't, OK, I'll continue here. In 2019, a Japanese man took the record with nine cans, but now Keaton couldn't take it anymore, has the title back with 10 cans, thanks to an unusual, unusual medical condition. He says the condition is not named, but his skin pores suck in oxygen, allowing things to stick to him. That seems like an advantage, don't you
1: think? Yeah. Um,
0: Let's talk to Guinness. I, I don't think that's fair. I
1: I think we should lodge an official complaint.
0: Seems like dirty pool to me. I don't yeah. know.
1: Skin pores that suck in oxygen? I don't know about that, Ted. I, here's what I know. I know tonight you're going to try to see how many cans you can stick on your head and get them to stick. I'm going to tell you right now, I want you to start calling me canhead. I really do. I think that'd be great.
0: Misspeak of the week here, President Joe Biden. No. <laughs> on here He's never been on here. <laughs> he channeled legendary news anchor Ron Burgundy while speaking about the Supreme Court's recent overturning of Roe versus Wade. Take a listen.
3: One of the most extraordinary parts of the decision, in my view, is the majority rights, and I quote, women, I'm mean, just a quote now from the majority, women are not without electoral or political power. It is noteworthy that the percentage of women who register to vote and cast a ballot is consistently higher than the percentage of the men who do so. End of quote.
1: Repeat the line.
0: <laughs> what?
1: Come on. Oh, my gosh. I'm reminded of a movie, Kevin.
0: Yep. Well, the old anchor man. Um, anything I guess you put on that prompter, Burgundy or Biden, we'll read it. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, President Biden, thank you so much. You make their show great.
1: Time for another Cleveland history lesson. Our Cleveland historian, John Grabowski, is back with us. And John, when you drive through downtown Cleveland, kind of the the heart, the main drag, there's really two, two north-south streets. There's Ontario and East Ninth. East. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, it's nine blocks east of Ontario Street, which is sort of uh, Main Street in Cleveland, but it's called Ontario Street. So, uh, why? Why is it called Ontario Street?
3: Well, let's 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 go back to another thing before we get to why it's called Ontario Street. In 1905, 1906, the city. Basically rationalized its streets, and almost all the north-south streets were would have had names, and they were given numbers. Okay. House the house numbers then correlated with the streets. as we're used to that. So if you're if you're between East 9th and let's say East Eleventh, the number is going to be nine hundred or ten hundred. Sure. Very logical, progressive thing. However, why Ontario is called Ontario is because, well, you have Huron, right? Yep. East 9th Street used to be Erie Street. Okay. Okay. And then there's Superior Avenue. Ah. Ontario. Uh, so we are to the Great Lakes, right? Okay. Okay. Then the question now is, where is Michigan? Now, the, the the point here is somebody might say, well, there was a Buckeyes fan in Cleveland, and they wouldn't allow it to be named Michigan.
1: <laughs> I was going to say, who cares? But go who ahead. Cares?
3: <laughs> right but but there was a Michigan street and and that was taken out when the Cleveland Union Terminal complex was built okay so, you know and Erie Street was renamed but so we still have Superior we still have Huron and we still have Ontario so we have 3 of the 5 great Lakes left in our streets and Interesting Avenue I think you know that indicates for the founders of this community who did the street naming the the situation along the Great Lakes was so, so very important, and that's eventually what made us a city on a lake and a river. So, you know, Michigan is missing, and Erie has become East 9th Street, but there's still Erie Street Cemetery, which was named after Erie Cemetery, so yeah, that's, it goes right back to the beginning and why the streets were named what they were.
0: John, what's the time frame? I mean, if you know this, when, when was this done? Do you have any idea of the time frame of this?
3: I'm, I'm going to guess that it was done really very much at, at the beginning of the platting of, of the city of Cleveland in the 1790s. Um, oh, wow. Okay. Cleveland just extended. Uh, you know, Michigan would come in later, and I think Huron came in later. I'd have to look at some maps. But Superior was right there from the beginning. And, you know, one of the points you can look at Superior is the widest street, so maybe that's why it's named Superior. the other thing about Superior is when it was first laid out for many years, it didn't end at the bridge. It didn't go. It went right down to the valley where all the business and the warehouses were. And and it was really the street where where Cleveland businesses thrived on. And most most of the major businesses in Cleveland before the Civil War and up to the 1870s were all um, basically west of Public Square and really dotted along Superior. Yeah.
1: Okay. Well, very interesting. I, uh, it's so logical, but, uh, you know, a smart guy like me had no idea that, uh, Ontario was for one of the great lakes, but that yeah. makes total sense now.
3: Yeah. Well, and, and, you know, if you're a Buckeyes fan, you have to be happy that Michigan is no longer here.
1: <laughs> well, we see them once a year and that's, that's more than enough. I think uh, most it was uh, enough
3: last year, wasn't it?
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, sure was. Oh boy. Well, we won't talk about that right now but John we appreciate the info and now when I drive downtown I will look at that street sign and say I know why that's there so thank you very yes, much John you're
3: very much the most trusted name in journalism clops clips
1: All right news you you need to have Even if you haven't heard it yet, this is the place to come to get it. A Texas meteorologist in the middle of his forecast and discussing the possibility of a heat wave causing rolling blackouts. He's on the air. When
2: you have this kind of heat over major populations, you get a big draw on that electric demand. and It looks like we may have just switched over to generator power. Our lights just went out. 104 in Huntsville. It is excessive heat in College Station at 105 degrees. We are looking at, okay, we're back now. 105 degrees currently in College Station, so excessive heat up there.
1: It's as though Travis Herzog, um, uh, Herzog from KTRK called it. The lights at the station actually went out a second time during another broadcast on the station.
0: You don't think that was staged? Do you think that was real? Uh, who knows? It's a great move. if, if it, Either way, it's yeah. a great move.
1: I mean, yeah. it sends the message. Sure does. A Louisiana woman wound up in an FBI sting after apparently trying to use the website. We've heard about this before. It's the website rentahitman.com. Oh, yes. The site is linked directly to the Bureau's Internet Crime Squad. Zandra Ellis gave a fake name on the site, but gave her real email, her real phone number, and her real physical address. She also provided the phone number, address, and Instagram handle of the woman targeted. When an FBI agent texted her to ask about the phony name, because they figured it out, she said, quote, I didn't want my real name out, just in case this isn't real, or if it comes back to me, or so I won't go to jail for wanting something like this done. Yep. Well, they, uh, the, the agent, the undercover agent, and uh, Miss Ellis agreed on a price of a thousand bucks, and then they met at a waffle house for her to provide the down payment. That's where I would go. I love the That's- waffle house. <laughs> Uh, the agent recorded their conversation. She was arrested as soon as she left. And when she was arrested, they discovered she was carrying a Ruger three oh eight pistol with live rounds. She's not fooling around. No. She wants this to happen. Wow. No, no she's okay. not. So, yeah rentahitman.com not well, this uh, is
0: this is a heads up for the listeners do not go on that site if you're trying to knock somebody off okay yeah. you need to find yeah. another site or just go old school or something but this is not the route to go this is uh, this is the second person now that's been caught so
1: a worker in Chile has resigned from his job and disappeared it happened shortly after his employer paid him about 330 times his normal salary because of a payroll error it, God, he, like what? The worker is a dispatch assistant at a cold meats manufacturer. He was supposed to be paid $545 in May. Instead, he received more than 180 grand. <laughs> now, the guy did tell his manager about the mistake. Manager told him to go to the bank and return the cash. The guy has not done so. Instead, through his attorney, he in his resignation letter.
0: Makes sense to me. He's done.
1: Yeah. Maybe he did a heck of a job with the cold meats manufacturing
0: that week. You know, maybe you that go. has something to do with it. Could be. Somebody saw what he was doing.
1: A man in England wound up with a sore backside and a nasty rash after mistakenly using Tesco's active flushable toilet wipes. After he did his business. Oh my. The twenty-nine year old Leon Gleed had what he called burning rear pain <laughs> after after using the antibacterial cleaning wipes for a number of days. His girlfriend apparently put the wipes next to the toilet, and he didn't understand that they were not meant for use on the body. He says he used some cream to fix things up on his backside, but being a truck driver, he says the chafing made it difficult to get in and out of the of the vehicle.
0: Wow, I that he's got a rough road right now, no pun intended. But maybe he's got a rough it something. Is.
1: That's not what you're looking for. <laughs> get more cream, buddy. Yeah, well. Anytime you can have the, the word chafing in a news in a news item Ooh. it's gonna be in this segment.
0: I highly recommend you get those wipes out of there. Put them yeah. in a different area. Yeah, yeah.
1: So Jeez. now we know the difference between antibacterial wipes and wet wipes. It's our public service as we close up this week's collection of Klops clips. Mm-hmm.
4: Dad
0: joke. What kind of vehicle does Frankenstein drive?
4: Mm,
1: I don't know. A monster truck.
0: That joke
1: was horrible. Wrapping up episode 93 two middle aged men in Cleveland. Before we go, Ken, do want to mention the unfortunate passing of a uh, man who we both knew and both worked for down in Mansfield at WMFD television, Mike Green. Uh, the original sports anchor at WMFD Television uh, passed away uh, about a week ago, uh, week, week and a half ago. Uh, he was 79, uh, gave me my first uh, full-time job in uh, radio and television, and uh, gave you uh, the opportunity to do the uh, Friday Night Scores and more.
0: Yeah, he did. Mike
1: was... He was a good man
0: to younger people. He really was. I know he gave you your start, he gave me my start. I was still in college. Quick story, you have a ton. And by the <laughs> way, anybody that's connected with you, you did one heck of a job with the uh, update and kind of story you told about Mike through WMFD with, you know, through Greg Kale and all that. I thought that was really well done, by the way. So if anybody has not seen that, you should do that. Long story short, when I started in TV, I worked, you know, certainly at the TV station at Ashland. And so I think I'm ready to do this coverage. Well, Friday night football is kind of tough. You would cover two or three games and then you had to go back to an editing bay and edit the thing and voice it over and get it together. Sometimes you only had like, I don't know, 30 minutes, 45 minutes to do that. Sure. Well, the one time one of my clips was not good. I mean, it was just this combobulated. It sounded like complete and total crap. I'm not going to lie. Mike called me. This is the professionalism of Mike. Mike called me. And obviously this is before cell phones. And so he calls my my door room. He just says, uh, Ken. said, Yeah, Mike Green. (laughs) Hey, I saw your stuff from last week. Not the best. Let's do a little bit better next week. How's that sound? I said, sounds good. And the (laughs) the way I took it is like, that's pretty classy. I mean, basically, he said you did a poor job. Okay, you do this again. You're done. So after that, I I improved, and he kind of critiqued some stuff for me and all that. He was just a very nice man. And then before you did Ashland University football games, I actually did a game with Mike. Um, It was, I mean, it was fun. He's a nice man, and we met beforehand, certainly at uh, in Ashland at the Linway, and just exchanged some stories. And it was it was a very good time. I enjoyed that, but uh, I I appreciated Mike giving me a start and certainly giving me some guidance. And you know, you know, certainly prayers to his family and all that stuff but i have enjoyed my time with mike and you have much more stories than i do with with mike but he was always very good to me, for sure
1: yeah yeah always very good to me as well and uh excited and happy for me when i got the chance to move back to cleveland so uh yeah yeah Uh, uh, certainly uh thoughts and prayers to his family now uh we did have a celebrity sighting in cleveland can you have some details on this yeah, I was just checking things out. So back in July on the 13th, a very
0: famous artist who I think is one somewhere in the realm of 13 Grammys or whatever you want to call it, Bruno Mars mm. was down in the flats, not just hanging out, he was serving drinks. Mm. He was a bartender at Rum Runners. So there's some great video of that if you haven't seen that, it's very cool. And I was trying to figure out what is he doing there? So, Ted, I always like to do research just for you. He didn't have a concert coming up. I think he's got something coming up later in the year. And he's got a tour he's kicking off that he's going to be in Vegas, which basically means he's going to make a lot of money for like nine dates. He has a rum brand that he is certainly trying to promote. Called Selva Ray. So that is what he's doing. He went to Nashville as well and a couple other places, but cool video. I mean, it's, oh. he's, I mean, a talented artist like that just to kind of hang out behind the bar and serve some drinks and probably made a great experience for not only those bartenders and workers of rum runners, but for many people that were at the bar. What's his big song? 24 carat.
1: Oh, that's, you know what? that's my, That's That's my second favorite song. What's your first? Every other one.
0: Well, I guess we'll never have him on. There we go. That's it. Ted, great seeing you. We do need to get together soon since we'll be. Uh, how did you put it? What is what is our situation when
2: our masking away? In, in our altitude.
1: Altitude.
0: So we'll have to get together and, and create some wonderful out and abouts. And one other thing I wanted to mention, if you haven't checked it out, the Skylight Park in Tower City has replaced the fountains. I guess that's very cool. I've seen pictures. I'm going to check that out probably next week when I come and see you. So that's another wonderful Cleveland thing that's going on. Ted, have a great week. I'll do my best. And just remember, we're just two middle-aged men in Cleveland.
2: Two Middle-Aged Men in Cleveland is sponsored by Westminster AV. Custom audio-visual packages for all occasions.
1: We will bask in our aloneitude.
3: That's right. <laughs>